Hello, Blazers. Welcome to episode 101 of UAB Green and Told, original debut Monday, July 3rd, 2023. Through this podcast, we're able to share stories from members of the UAB community. Want to listen into previous episodes? Check us out at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. While there, leave a written review that'll help other alums find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and director of communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. Today's guest of the podcast is an up-and-comer in the enterprise technology world. With customers like Boeing and Northrop Grumman, Valentine Wachuku was named to Forbes 2023 30 Under 30 list for enterprise technology. And as he'll share, his company is growing at an incredible clip. If we continued this pace, we could easily be a billion-dollar company in the next three years. A first-generation immigrant from Africa, Valentine will share why he credits his dad with much of his success. He wanted to show me that, hey, instead of buying this, you can actually write your own games and nerd out with me about it. And, you know, he, he thought I wouldn't buy, uh, buy it on the bait, and I did. <laughs> Plus, little-known fact, Valentine is actually a prince, a nugget this royal doesn't readily reveal. It's not like the British where you're, you're like a duke, baron. Uh, for, for me, I, I guess we have those. We, we call them chiefs, but um, uh, we, I'm, I'm a prince. That would be my official title. Once you know his backstory, you can probably dub Valentine Wachuku Prince of Enterprise Technology. A humble alum, Valentine usually doesn't share much about being a prince, but will share pretty much anything else about his past. While his dad was instrumental in his life, he really didn't enter the picture until Valentine was a tween. Up until that time, Valentine had spent his life in Nigeria. I grew up there till I was 11. Um, and the best way to describe it is a country that has blessed with a lot of resources, a lot of smart people, but uh, unfortunately cursed with, you know, poor management and uh, very little opportunity for those folks. So growing up there, um, we had really good schools up until uh, when I left uh, to come here. And we use the British system, so I would say up till primary and secondary uh, is, is pretty good there. So we had strong focus in mathematics, science, and so that was really good. Uh, but obviously, there's a huge wealth gap. So uh, in one, in one uh, road, you see a bunch of G-wagons, and then in that same road, you also see a lot of people begging in the streets and, you know, just poverty-stricken. So um, that that's kind of the, the, I guess, the lens I grew up in, is just seeing both parts of the world uh, there um, and uh, really understanding that uh, to make it here, you really have to work really hard, um, uh, you know, to, to, to capture the, the very few opportunities there. Did you come from a big family, small family? What was the family structure? Oh, yeah. I have, so uh, in terms of my nuclear family or just uh, just within uh, my mom and my dad, it's just me and my brother, uh, my older brother. Um, so he's autistic. But at a wider, it's, it's different. There are familiar units or are more extended. Okay. Um, so you have lots of cousins. And in, in that case, I have about probably close to over 300 cousins. Um, my granddad was a polygamist. So um, it, has something to do. it was a royal family, a couple of royal family. So there's a way to capture power. He had like four wives. My grandmom was the first of the four. And 
Um, so lots of kids. My my dad was one of I think eight or nine, um, and then yeah, it was kind of similar for the other wives, and they had other cousins. Uh, just huge family. There we have a whole Wachuku day that we do on uh, January first, just to get <laughs> gather all the people that's part of the family, which is an entire village. If you could imagine all of downtown Huntsville being your family essentially wow that's that's incredible I I want to explore the royal angle a little bit I didn't know that yeah. when it comes I usually to not mention it because I, I, I try not to let it define me as much you know yeah, yeah. no but it, it's an interesting part of who you are though yeah and so when it comes to the royal structure of your family do you have a certain title? You know, do you have a certain moniker? Uh, yeah, I'm a prince. So we, because uh, I'm part of the, I guess I'm in the crown line, uh, the first wife, uh, my grandmom. So, but for me to, it's not like the British where you're, you're like a duke, baron. Uh, for for me, I, I guess we have those. We we call them chiefs, but um, uh, we, I'm I'm a prince. That would be my official title, Prince Valentine. So when you do finally work it into conversation, how do you get people to understand what it is and how do you kind of slide it in there? Hey, you know what? I I am so a prince. Best way to describe it. Um, well, just, just like this, like I'm from a royal family in Nigeria and it's not like your Buckingham Palace. There are many princes, there are many royal families, especially in the Igbo tribe, which is the tribe I'm from in Nigeria. And um, the best way to describe uh, how the, I guess the ruling populace is think about the mayor of a city here. So okay. um, is the monarchy uh, uh, counterpart of a mayor here. Um, so that that's kind of the crossover. Your family decided when you were 11 to make a change and you left Nigeria. Yeah. What was behind that decision and where did you land? So my dad had actually been here. Um, he's the one who uh, first, I guess, stepped over here. He came in the 70s to uh, University of Chicago to study engineering. At some point uh, between then and 1993, I was born. Uh, met, she met my mom, I think, in the late 80s. But she had stayed behind with us. Uh, uh, we didn't. I didn't actually get to see my dad till I was 11 because he had fallen sick and couldn't travel back to Nigeria. So it's mainly raised by my mom. There was some family politics there that prevented my mom from coming here. Um, uh, not to go into into it too much. Basically, the family had refused her coming to the U.S. because there was a fear that she would come here and leave my dad, blah, 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 blah. A lot of family politics in these royal families. But yeah. um, the result of that is that I ended up not seeing my dad till I was 11. And growing up during those years, I had always been different. And there wasn't anyone in my family that was similar to, like my, my mom's personality and I are just kind of like very opposite. I was very relieved when I finally got to meet my dad here. I was like, oh shoot, this is, this is where I get these behaviors from, or this is, the type of thinking comes from you and I got along really well with him. And, you know, you probably saw the piece on the Forbes. He's actually the one who taught me programming and, you know, it, it, just joking around because he, he wanted to show me that, hey, instead of buying this, you can actually write your own games and nerd out with me about it. And, you know, he, he thought I wouldn't buy, uh, buy it on the bait and I did. <laughs> 
but um, that, that's essentially what happened is later on um, after the family politics more or less uh, was relaxed and um, at that point my dad needed help you know because he had fallen ill over here he was diabetic uh, kidney failure my mom en ended up joining and then we joined uh, later on because uh, they wanted me to finish um, my primary school there okay. uh, and then I came here after primary six uh, which will put me at about technically sixth grade here um, in middle school um, sixth and seventh grade actually they wanted me to go on to eighth grade but I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to get bullied uh, as an 11 year old in eighth grade so I chose seventh grade still got bullied so I should have just went with the first option <laughs> but um but yeah that's that was the journey to America and uh, it, was, it was one that I was very very grateful for because um, I was a U.S. born citizen um, already uh, but it, it was it was good to finally be over here and and but still be, even though I was a citizen, still be a first-generation immigrant. What city did you guys come to? Huntsville. Huntsville. So Huntsville. Some, yeah, at some point, my dad had relocated from Chicago to Huntsville because, okay. you know, every engineer comes to Huntsville for a job. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I do want to talk about the kind of your, your childhood when you first got to America. You know, most... Most kids, when they're growing up, they are playing PS2. They're playing Nintendo 64, whatever the platform is at the time. Your dad had a different approach to yeah. it where you weren't necessarily playing those games. And I'm, I'm sure you were. You were sneaking probably over to a friend's house and stuff like that. But he got you into C++. What was that experience like? Uh, it was really fun, actually. I, yeah, I've always been very curious about how things worked. Um, and once he told me, he kind of explained uh, Unity 3D, which is one of the engines for making games, is written in C++. Once he explained, hey, this is like the language that they used to write these games, I was very intrigued and, you know, we wrote uh, Conway's Game of Life, uh, like very popular C++ program you can write uh, together, and I just saw like, you could tell these computers to do whatever you want, right, and they'll do it. Um, and uh, as someone who is very creative and wanted to build things, uh, that really intrigued me. His approach was basically to to tap in on that curiosity, that natural curiosity that I had, because um, he we thought exactly the same. So like there was a computer in the room. Um, he, he wasn't one of his parents that would say, yeah, you know, don't don't touch it because I don't want you breaking anything. It was very much like go learn, and if you have questions, you know, I'll teach you what you don't know um, type of approach. And basically, after we started. Uh, he started teaching me programming. It was, that was a very strong bonding experience between um, he and I, you know, because he was sick. Uh, he basically was a stay-at-home dad. So um, uh, really, at some point, I became the caretaker um, of him and my my brother. But um, we spent a lot of time together. Um, like he would teach me stuff about programming, mathematics. Um, he was very good at mathematics, um, though I think I ended up becoming better, but a lot of people would disagree on that. Uh, but yeah, that, that was basically it. it there was never, um, you know, most people from the Nigerian community, you're given three options, engineer, doctor, or lawyer. He, he never, like, took that approach with me, right? It was, it was what do you want to do? Um, I, when, I said, when I showed interest in soccer, he even was, you know, put me in soccer. Um, when I showed interest in programming, like if, if it had gone another way and I said, oh, I don't want to do this, I don't think I would have been forced to do it. 
Um, uh, so I really like that approach. And that's how I am like with my kids is, you know, what help them be part of their, their journey and their adventure is what I would say is what the approach you took. Being in a engineering community in Huntsville, you have a, an engineering school right in your backyard. You mm -hmm. decided to leave to get your undergrad and come to Birmingham. What was the driving force behind that decision? So remember what I said, you get three choices, engineer, doctor, or lawyer. So um, my mom's side of the family, a lot of them were like into medicine. Um, so, and it, naturally because of my brother, like him being autistic and me very, being very curious and trying to understand, like was, as a kid, I weirdly remember memories when I was four or five um, and us playing together and all that. And just as we got older, what I noticed that I got smarter and he kind of just like stagnated around, like I would say around five, six uh, mentality. And so I was very curious about how the brain worked and trying to see if I can basically fix him. Um, so I, I decided to go into, and I was also influenced by um, you know, some, this is gonna crack up, anime. Ghost in the Shell was one of my favorite anime. And um, in there, you know, there was a lot of human and machine interaction, like building cyborgs, essentially. It was a better like definition of cyborgs than what you would see in like Terminator. But um, the the emphasis that the show had is how you would use technology to solve very, uh, very complex uh, biological problems. Um, and I, I kind of saw that as maybe this is the untapped way of solving my brother's autism. So um, the, I looked up basically all the schools that had strong biomedical engineering focus and uh, UAB was one of them. Um, actually, uh, I had gotten into, uh, this gets this, this this sadder, but the other reasons I wasn't sure engineering or medicine, which I wanted to do, they were quite plain. That was the first reason. The second reason is because the, the autism. Um, third reason, I had actually gotten into uh, Harvard's early medical acceptance program, but I decided um, not to do that because right before my graduation from high school, around April, my dad passed. Oh. So my mom was by herself uh, here in Huntsville. So I just, I don't know, I, I couldn't back then leave her uh, and go so far away to uh, Boston. And it was still very expensive to go to that school, even with uh, any scholarship you were going to get. Um, so UAB had the same rigor, quite honestly, uh, based on what I was looking as Princeton, um, especially with the biomedical engineering program there. So it's, it was only an hour away uh, from, hour and a half away from Huntsville. So I kind of checked all the boxes. And finally, actually, when my dad was going through a lot of his checkups for his kidney issues, we spent a lot of time at UAB Hospital. And to find out that they had even better um, or just as, as good of a biomedical engineering program really attracted me to the school. What was campus like? Because this is the, the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yes. Um, campus was, was fun, actually. I, I, I rarely went home. Um, I actually became an RA second semester of my freshman year. So I, I got to just really embed myself in, in campus and residence life. As you approach graduation and you finally got the diploma, what was the plan? What did you want to do with that? So I was, uh, I was going, I was pre-med up until literally 
after I graduated, I was like, ah, you know what? <laughs> There's all these ideas. I was always in conflict. I did research the whole time I was there. I wanted to do MD PhD, um, and I just when I started really calculating the number of years, it, it boiled down to this. And I had all these ideas of like products I wanted to build. And knowing that it would take me about 10 years before I could do that, if I didn't want to lose my mind while trying to balance, you know, building a company yeah. and being a med student, I, I, I just chose to do engineering. Um, and I, I didn't want to be a doctor like 15 years after education, doing surgery and just thinking, what if, right? Um, I didn't think that was a good way to be a, a civil citizen. Um, so um, I, I just chose to do engineering and, and try to figure it out that way. You touched on Zayden just briefly, and that's your current company where you serve yeah. as CEO. Talk about what led to that company getting there and then just its growth over the last three, four years. Quite funny, Zayden was actually formed while I was at UAB, um, informally. Okay. I was using, I was building websites for people to make extra bucks. Um, so I would market myself as Zayden. I never, I didn't know crap about business. I, I made it an LLC while I was at Northwood because I just continually kept getting people asking me to help them build this, build that. At that point, I had become a manager. I was like, oh man, now I need to start outsourcing. So I started outsourcing some of the role, some of my projects. And that's how I learned about, you know, more about budget management. But the current instance of Zayden as it is uh, today uh, was actually started in 2019. Um, when myself, Jason and Alex, Jason West and Alex Monet, we, we were we met at Northrop, and um, we were we solved a lot of problems where you know almost impossible where you were asked to deliver nine months of work in about six weeks. So in order to do something like that, you need to have strong automation, uh, strong discipline into, uh, you know, making sure you build, you're not sacrificing quality while moving at like light speed. After we, I was thinking at Northrop, we all kind of dispersed. I went to uh, to Amazon. Jason, I think Jason stayed a little bit with Northrop, and then Alex went to Uptake and Ken and Carter. But we, when we got back that November of 2019, we were just you know just talking shop and realized the problems that we were solving while we were at Northrop was still prevalent in other industries. At Amazon, we saw issues with delivery, uh, being on time and, and with quality, or, or uh, enterprise engineering teams being put in this pressure um, to deliver, but it wasn't really, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to customers because um, you push so hard and that you forget quality, you push so hard that you're losing sleep. I mean, I slept at office many times while I was in that team at Northrop. Mm -hmm. So we, we said, okay, we need to start solving these problems like we did once and, and really uh, democratize uh, our automations and, and skill set to the wider population. At that point, I had changed the slogan. It was initially evolving ideas into smart technologies, basically showing, hey, we can build you anything to really, to now is automating a smarter future because now we're saying, we want to do it so that people down, you know, generations downstream um, never have to feel the pain that we felt, right? And that people know how better to use technology to achieve. You know, you always get the people tell you choose, uh, choose, pick two, uh, cost, schedule, quality, mm -hmm. right? We're we're basically saying you can have all three if you 
choose the right automation. If you really use unrivaled, uh, uh, you know, use automation to meet those unrivaled speed, use automation and build in the quality as part of your gates. So, you know, it's not something that is a man in the middle because humans introduce a lot of errors. That That's what basically led to what, what Zayden is too, is all those experiences that we've gathered and, and the pain points um, and really the anger of trying to to challenge the status quo and saying no, we really believe that you can you can do all three of these at the same time. That's that's what Zayden is. You know, always moving fast, making sustainable long term decisions, uh, making reversible decisions, two way decisions. So all these things is really what what Zayden is. As soon as we formed in November 2019, COVID hit. I quit Amazon. Basically, we had to self fund the uh, Zayden for throughout 2020. Uh, spent a lot of time on on building the business plan, the culture. Uh, we got a chance with Northrop uh, April 2021. At that point, we were making like 27,000 monthly recurring revenue, and then we, you know, just kept delivering results and showing that hey, this this is not just theory. We can actually show you what we're saying. And you know, today we're up to about 310,000 uh, monthly recurring revenue doing the same thing. Um, you know, we got a product now, uh, Olympus that essentially captures all this automation we've been doing and saying, hey, let's sell you this as a product. This is what we have internally. Um, now we can, again, democratize that to everyone as a product that you can use and, and get the same results that you pay us as consultants to get. The trajectory for Zayden is just kind of going up like yeah. a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's good and bad, but mostly good, right? Obviously, but yeah, we we're feeling the growing pains. But I I could not believe uh, how how successful we've been. Um, and even I say that, but I'm also a very tough critic of the company and myself because I see so many things that we could be doing better. I feel like this could easily be a you know if if we continue this pace, we could easily be a billion dollar company in the next three years. Um, just we have solid individuals, really good team, really good foundation. Everyone here is is you know is dedicated to the mission. Is really strong technologists that also care about the people using it. We're different because we're always thinking about the end user. We we want to make things better for them. Genuinely want to make things better for them. And um, I, I say I say there's one of our DNA codes is creating the most lovable products. Uh, and that's what that means is that the, the product is really addicting is because it's, it's so intuitive, it's so it's so empathetic to the end user that you know they, they love it immediately. Um, it's the most lovable product. You can't you can't have anything better than it. Uh, and that's what we strive to continue creating as a. Forbes recently named you on its 30 under 30 enterprise technology list. How humbling was that? for you uh, that was that was actually a live goal I, I really wanted to make that list um and i had <laughs> this is literally my last year to make it but i was very humbled it was finally like you know i actually cried when i saw that uh, because one it was as someone who's so self-critical finally seeing that okay all that work you've been doing is now validated all right even if it's just some article right just being on that list is if you look at the people who've been on that list it's, it's showing me that hey you're on the right track right and then second it, it gave me a, a chance to tell the story about my dad um and I, I try not to tear up whenever I, I talk about it but 
if not for just that six years or less than six years I spent with him, I genuinely would not be here. Like the things he taught me in, in that short years. And as a dad now, there's like the importance of fatherhood. I love my mom. Not, not that I haven't mentioned her. She is a huge part of my success as well. But there's there's a huge difference like having a dad present makes and, and even if it's for like six years and if not for the teachings that I, or the experience I gained from him while he was alive, I I know I wouldn't be here right now um, running this company because all of I've, all I've done, all the successes I've led from that C++ book that he gave me and, and teaching me, you know, how to write code and, and be, you know, be a nerd with him when it comes to programming. So it was, it was good to kind of finally, um, if you will, um, uh, imprint his his contribution in my life in an article like that that's never going to go away. That's Valentine Wachuku. Valentine completed his undergraduate degree in biomedical engineering in 2014 from the School of Engineering and Honors College. Today, he serves as CEO of Zayden Technologies in Huntsville, a company that delivers DevSecOps, a type of application security, and other products to enterprise software teams. As a first-generation immigrant, Valentine definitely has his own idea of what it means to be a blazer. Every time I've thought about UAB, I've thought of, I think is a very underrated school, quite honestly. The folks I've met throughout my careers have gone to Stanford, Caltech, whatever, and at no point have I felt that I wasn't on the same level as them. And as a blazer, it's like this humble person that you would never think has all this experience, all this rigor, all this intelligence. That's what UAB is to me. It's like, is this hidden gem uh, that has so much great faculty amazing research but you know research bodies when someone's looking at the stanfords and cal most people will overlook uab but uh, if you give it a shot you actually find that one you're getting a, a cheaper education cost wise for if not the same but better quality of education um as you know those ivy league schools be sure to check out past episodes of the UAB Green and Told podcast. Listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone who does? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Blazers.